0: Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them. That's it. Hopefully, no fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies that they can put to use and that you can put to use as well. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to read a quick tweet I saw recently from Kayvon Chung, who's at Meet Kayvon on Twitter and shares lots of great stuff, by the way, so I highly recommend you check him out. He also happens to be a member of my skill sessions, and after watching my recent newsletter social playbook session, he tweeted this. He said, I just finished watching this playbook and it was so good. I think those who love to jump straight to tactics would love this because so much is packed in 60 minutes. Kayvon is absolutely right. I might be biased, but it is very good. And it's got tons of tips in there to show you how to use social media to grow your newsletter and vice versa. So if that kind of thing interests you, go to joshspector.com sessions to check it out. By the way, if you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my skill sessions. Okay, that's enough about that. Let's get into today's episode. Today, my guest is Luke Simmons. Luke helps faithful pastors be fruitful and fruitful pastors stay faithful. That's a mouthful. By creating resources and coaching experiences through his appropriately named Faithful and Fruitful newsletter on Twitter, at Luke D. Simmons, on the preaching through podcast and as a leadership coach. Luke is also a practitioner leading the Redemption Church Gateway in Phoenix, a church he founded in 2009, and his favorite job is being a dad to four kids. He has one in high school, middle school, elementary school, and kindergarten, which I'm guessing means he's pretty tired, Luke. Luke, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Josh. I mean, it's a longtime listener, first-time caller, so it's
0: awesome. uh, I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you. I know you've got some great questions today. We're going to talk a little bit about prioritization. We're going to talk about credibility, and we're also going to talk about how to figure out if the things that you create and sell are worth what you want to sell them for. So let's jump right into it. What is your first question?
1: And my first question is, if I have only about 10 hours a week to work on this business, Mm -hmm. which I prioritize. You alluded to there in the intro. I am a full-time pastor, Mm -hmm. got a full-time gig. That's my main uh, sense of purpose and calling Mm -hmm. and vocation. And at the same time, I'm trying to create resources and coaching experiences and stuff to help pastors, trying to be active on Twitter and write engaging and good content. And I'd love to make enough money over the next year to pay for club volleyball. That's kind of.
0: Right. there you, there you go. go. Yeah,
1: perfect. I'm not really looking to quit my day job, but want to help people, want to make a little bit of money on it. So I don't have a ton of time. Mm-hmm. So that's where that question is coming from. If I have 10 hours a week to build okay. a side thing, what should I prioritize?
0: Well, first of all, if you have four kids, congratulations on finding 10 hours a week. That, that in and of itself is impressive. So let me ask you a question. So in terms of the stuff that you're doing with the 10 hours a week or that, and you said it's a side hustle, You want to make some additional money, that kind of thing. And you want to help people, obviously. What are you selling or is there, is it the coaching program? Is it the podcast? I mean, obviously you're doing content stuff, but like, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? Like, where's that money coming from? So it's relatively
1: new. It's been going really for about the last six months in terms of developing it as a business. I've got a a cohort thing I call preaching lab. That's the first kind of product offering we did. There's some pre-recorded video content in there that I will turn into either an online course or skill sessions if you can convince me that's the way to go. Yeah, some version of that. So I think there's a recurring opportunity there. I've already had one of the guys in the cohort ask me to do some individual coaching. So it's really a mixture of some passive income products, as well as probably some group experiences. And okay,
0: cool. So let's start here when it comes to priorities. So first I want to, and again, I think one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is I think so many people are in this situation, right? Where it's like everybody's time is limited. And for a lot of people it is, they have a career and they like their career and that's good. They're not looking to leave that, but, but they do want to make the most of the time that they're putting in. So a quick note, first of all, before we get to priorities, I think the chances are, and I say this because I think it's true of almost everybody. The things you are doing are probably taking you longer than necessary to do. So the first thing is when you have limited time to understand that the more efficient you get with whatever you're doing, Twitter, podcast, whatever, the more efficient you get, the fewer choices you have to make in terms of priorities because you're making the most of that 10 hours. Think about the things you're currently doing. Are there ways to be more efficient then? Can you take something, you and a good way to do that, a good exercise, is to pick something that you do and ask yourself how you'd approach it if you absolutely had to do it in half the time. So take Twitter and go, I'm currently spending two hours a week on Twitter. What if I only had an hour? What would I do? And most likely, and actually go try that, right? Actually cut your time in half for a few weeks and see what happens on that thing. And most likely, the chances are you'll find out that the work or the thing you're doing won't actually suffer in a meaningful way. The chances are, just using this as an example, if you're spending two hours a week on Twitter and you go, I'm only going to spend an hour a week, chances are the actual impact of that reduction won't be that much. And you'll discover like, oh, I can be more efficient. And this is going to allow me to do more, maximize the time that I have. So that's the first place to start. Now let's talk about priorities. So you've done some of that. You've gotten more efficient. So you're getting the most out of the time that you have. You still, like all of us, are always going to have more to do than or want to do more than you have time to do. I think a key thing about priorities is a lot of people misunderstand, I think, when they think about priorities, that they approach it as asking themselves the question of, is this thing important? Is doing this thing important? Is this a priority for me? But actually, priorities are not about, is it important? It's about which of these things is more important. So it's always in comparison. And I think people struggle because they're looking at things individually in a vacuum and going, is this important? Yeah, it's important for me to use Twitter. It's important for me to do the podcast. It's important for me to do coaching calls, whatever it is. But the real question is, what's more important, Twitter or podcasts? I'm making that up as an example, right? When you start to look at priorities as everything in context, and you can literally make a list of here's 10 different things I'm doing with my 10 hours a week and go one by one and go, which is more important, thing A or thing B? Oh, it's thing B? Okay, which is more important, thing B or thing C? Like you can literally go these head-to-head matchups and start ranking importance, right? Once you take that mindset, the obvious question becomes, well, how do you decide which is more important? Like, okay, I get it. It's all comparison, but how do I decide? I think there's a couple things there to think about. So one is it's really important to start with your overall goal. That's why I kind of asked you, what are you trying to get from this and working backwards? Alignment is the key. So if your goal is I want to make X amount of money, that's my goal. Don't be focused on just things that are going to grow your audience. The question isn't what's going to grow my audience more, Twitter or podcast. The question is what's going to help me sell more of whatever I'm selling. Optimize for the right thing. The other thing is you want to look at when your stuff you're already doing and as you go, what's actually working? You always want to double down on the stuff that's working as opposed to there's infinite new things where it's like, oh, yeah, if I started on TikTok, that could probably become a thing. Well, yeah, but if you have some traction here, maybe instead of adding two hours to some new platform, add those two hours to what's already working, and that's going to get you further faster. Another question there that I think can be helpful to consider. Is there anything that you're currently doing that if you doubled the effort, it would triple the results. I'll use the podcast as an example. If you said, okay, I put out two episodes a month and you go, if I put out four episodes a month, would that triple the key metrics that I get from it? Sales, audience, whatever it is. You want to try to invest more time and more effort and more resources into the things that will get you an outsized result. So that's another thing to analyze this. To really help you, I think, and I came up with a series of Five questions. So when you take these two things that you're doing and you go, I want to figure out which of these is a bigger priority for me. I think if you take, and this is repeat, you can do this with multiple things, obviously, right? But so you take two of your things, you're going to ask yourself these five questions. The answers to these questions should help you reveal to yourself, oh, this is clearly the bigger priority. So here are the questions. So the first one is if both of these things were immediately accomplished magically overnight, which would have a bigger impact on my overall goal? For example, if you were like, let's say I doubled my Twitter audience or doubled my podcast listening. If that could happen magically overnight, which would have a bigger impact on my goal? The one that has a bigger impact, which should theoretically be the bigger priority. Again, it's hypothetical, but helpful. I'm a big believer in assuming success. So this is an example of sort of assuming success. The second question is, If both of these things were immediately accomplished, which would I be happier to have done? So there is a piece of this that is what actually gives you joy and what, you know, would you be happier to double your Twitter audience or to double your podcast downloads? Something to consider. So again, whichever that answer is, is another strike in the column for that one being a bigger priority. The third question is, if you had to eliminate one of the two things completely and never do it at all, which would you eliminate? So if you were forced to either say, I'm never going to use Twitter again, or I'm never going to do a podcast again, which would you choose and why? Again, this is getting to like, on some level, these are all tricks to get inside your mind and figure out what, you know, what feels more important to you. The fourth question is if you had to outsource one of these things, which would you outsource and why? If you had to say, you know what? I'm going to let someone else run my Twitter. I'm going to let someone else run my podcast again, if you had to do it, which would you choose? And that question can also help you surface. That ties back into some of the efficiency because you might not fully outsource it, but you might go, you know what? I spend a lot of time editing that podcast. Maybe it does make sense to have somebody edit it for me, that kind of thing. And then the last of the questions to figure out your priority between two things is if you had to pause or postpone one of these things, one of these goals by six months, which would you postpone? That helps you get at the immediacy that, you know, does it matter if you were like, you know what, I'm going to focus on the podcast for six months and I'm not going to use Twitter. What's the impact of that? Or I'm going to use Twitter for six months and the podcast is going to go on hiatus for six months. What's the impact of that? With those five questions, even if it's close, at least three of those answers are going to go one direction and two is going to go the other. So it's a way to get out of your own head and kind of go, oh, well, I just told myself what the what the priority is. This is more important than the other based on sort of this series of questions. Again, you can do that repeatedly. So you might do that between your Twitter and your podcast, and then you might go, okay, well, clearly Twitter is the bigger priority, but then you might go, okay, I'm going to do Twitter versus coaching calls. And you might go, oh, coaching calls is actually more important. So you can wind up with this sort of ranked list and then look at the time and effort you're doing and adjust accordingly. So any questions about any of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Those questions are very helpful. and mm-hmm. Those kinds of exercises. Yeah. Force you to make choices. Yeah. I think where I especially am thinking through is like, I've kind of banked a lot of content and a lot mm-hmm. of, and some of it's just in here in my head that I've yep. got to get out. So you're a big fan of repurposing content. Yeah. I think that's some of what I think about is like, would my time be better spent recording these videos or yet to go anywhere or right. building my newsletter? Building the audience, there's kind of that like the behind the scenes stuff Mm -hmm. that's going to be available. And then the like outward facing connecting, you got to both. Right. That's where so like new content
0: versus existing content or the sort of creation versus engagement. Yeah. Probably
1: creation versus engagement. Would you ask those same questions to do that?
0: Yeah. I think I, yeah, I definitely think you can. And the other thing that I would think about again, this is why it's really important that. The more specific and clear you are on your goal, it becomes a filter that makes answering all these other questions easier. So for example, if you're, let's just hypothetically say it was coaching calls. Let's say you were like, you know what? My main goal here is to make this money. And the way I'm going to do that is through coaching calls because I could create a course that I sell for $50, but I could sell a $500 coaching call and I don't need as many. right? So this is a total hypothetical, but If you went that route and you were like, okay, my goal is to get two coaching calls a month. What do I need to get two coaching calls a month? And most likely in that scenario, you don't need that many people. You don't need even a thousand views on a video. So in that scenario, the one-to-one engagement, the relationship building with individuals who are the type of people that you want to serve and that who fit this thing. That's going to be a way better use of your time probably than this sort of general stuff because your goal is not really to build an audience. The purpose of your content in that scenario is to surface and attract people who want to hire you as a coach. It's not to build an audience. Yes, there's overlap and building an audience will help. Now, if you were to go the other direction, like I don't know if you're familiar with Justin Welsh, but using Justin Welsh as an example, right? Justin Welsh is not really doing coaching or consulting. He's selling courses. His entire approach, his content, his everything where he's investing his time and resources is designed to attract a broader audience because he wants to sell more $150 courses or whatever he charges for them. So for me, I have shifted over the past few years, whereas 90% of my revenue used to come from consulting. Now that's down to about 60% and shrinking even though my overall revenue has gone up because I've been focused on the more scalable stuff. So as a result, I'm more focused in how do I attract those people versus the sort of one-on-one interactions that are to get clients. So I would start there and you can succeed either way, but that's the key is understanding like, this is the thing that I ultimately want to happen. And it becomes a filter for everything you do. Which of these things is more likely to help to get that person that I need to do this thing? Okay, let's get to your second question. What is the next thing you want to know? You know? The second question I'm asking is, how do I
1: communicate credibility without also communicating arrogance? I think that's probably important to some degree for everybody. Most people are yeah, by arrogance, but especially the folks I'm trying to serve are in ministry. At least the Christian value is supposed to be humility. I don't know if it right. actually is. But <laughs> right. It's supposed to be. Communicating like you're a know-it-all is a bit of mm-hmm. a turn-off. And yet, you've got to demonstrate some sense of, hey, I've been where you've been, and I've mm-hmm. messed with it, and here's why you should listen to me. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on cool. that. Cool.
0: So, yeah, this is something, and I've talked about this before, We'll link, or I talked about a piece of this before. We'll put a link in the show notes where I talk about the idea that self-promotion is not a selfish act. It's actually selfless. If you create something that you truly believe is helpful to people, you actually have a responsibility to talk about it and put it out there because you're helping them. Not, it's not about you. It's about them. And a lot of times when people feel uncomfortable doing that, it's usually one of two things. One is deep down, they don't think it's actually helpful and valuable. And that's why they're insecure promoting it. Or it's just their own insecurity getting in the way. So being honest with yourself and going, do I truly believe that this thing I'm talking about that I'm promoting, whatever, legitimately helps people and my intent is good. And if you do, then you need to understand that all the things you're uncomfortable about are just your own insecurities and you need to get out of the way and help people. The other thing that I would say is to think about and notice the people that you follow, that you pay attention to, that resonate with you. Think about where they fall on the confident arrogance scale. Chances are you are not drawn to anybody that is being humble is a great quality. And I actually, maybe some people disagree, but I actually feel like I'm pretty humble. That said, I'm also very confident and I, that humbleness doesn't cross over into insecurity. People are not drawn to people that are insecure, especially when you're talking about an expert space or you're trying to help people. They want that confidence. They And I'm going to talk about the word arrogance in a minute, but they want that confidence as long as it is is paired with a genuine and authentic desire to help people. There's a difference between confidence and selfish. I'm fairly confident and I talk about things that I know or success that I've had, but it's always in concert with people genuinely believe I want to help people. So that removes all of that sort of potential arrogance or red flags. So let me talk about, well, actually, let me ask you, because you used the word, which I think is interesting. So how do you define arrogance?
1: I think what I'm thinking about is mostly that ugly, cringy, know-it-all kind of person who is like, you don't see any of their flaws. You don't see any of their problems. He is photoshopped for public consumption. They seem like they think they've just figured it all out and have totally arrived. that's what it like like i feel very confident in general in my life yeah i feel very confident about products and the experiences i'm creating i think what's Mm -hmm. harder is communicate about here's why you should listen to me i actually do know what i'm talking about and without that being like a gosh who's this guy just of
0: but what's interesting is my guess is the people that you think that negative about the person that you're like who's this guy like he's so full of himself whatever the reason most likely is because you don't believe what they're saying is true. That there's a disconnect between the image that they're putting out there sure. and what you believe to actually be true.
1: I've engaged with some people who are like, boy, it all looks real good online. And then, and then you look under the hood and you're like, this is not great.
0: But here's what's interesting, right? The opposite, the people that are putting that out there, whatever, but it is true and it does feel authentic. You don't think they're arrogant. You're actually like, those are the people that you probably are most drawn to. So I think what is important to understand is it's not the act of putting it out there that is the root of the problem. It's the act of putting it out there when it's not true or you can't back it up. So understanding that the mere fact that you have these thoughts and ask about it, you're not going to be the kind of person that's going to put stuff out there that's not true. You're not going to do sketchy, shady stuff. It doesn't matter how confident or braggy or whatever it is, if it's accurate and it's true, no one's going to go, oh, that guy's so arrogant. Like It's like, no, just like you don't, right? It's the disconnect that causes the problem. People are attracted to confidence and they're repelled by sort of insecurity. And they're actually, I don't want to say repelled by humbleness, but the humbleness does not serve you, nor does it serve in this context. By no means am I saying say anything that's not true, and I think you also touched on the vulnerability of like not everything's perfect. That is hugely effective and I strongly recommend it. I might 90% of the time be talking about look how well this thing went and look how well this thing went and whatever, but you know, I've posted tweets before that are like every time I send a newsletter, 60 people unsubscribe. That is open and I'm being realistic about it. I'm not out there going like no one unsubscribes. Posted something at one point that was like, when I send a newsletter, 60 people unsubscribe and that doesn't feel good, but it's actually a great thing. 60 people unsubscribe because I have X amount of subscribers. 60 people unsubscribe because it wasn't for them. It doesn't mean it's not good. It just means it wasn't for them. So I think couching your being honest on both sides of it Humble brag's a weird term. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, that you do that, but understanding that, like, look, I'm not making anything up. I'm showing people what I know. If you do a coaching call with someone and they're like, wow, this was great, you should share that. Because there's other people that are like, I don't know, could this guy help me? Maybe this guy can help me. Maybe he can't. Oh, like it's legitimate. Here's this other person who said it was really helpful. So the other thing I would say about this, and this gets into sort of credibility, is that a couple of different things here. I think a lot of times when people are worried about being seen as arrogant, I think part of what they mean by that is you're worried that when you communicate your credibility, you won't be providing value. So just even the example I just said, like you're worried that if I go, hey, I did a coaching call with Steve and Steve said it was great. What you're worried about is that people are going to go, well, what do I care? They're going to go like, oh, you're just saying like people think you're great. Awesome, right? That piece, which I'm very sensitive to. And, and, and I think the key here is how do you share credibility that's also valuable to people? There's a few things to do that. and So I want to get into sort of four specific ways that you can communicate your credibility and provide value to your audience at the same time. So you're not just going, oh, look, here's how great I am. Here's some ways to do it. So one is reveal specifics. So there's a huge difference between saying, I helped this person do this. And here's exactly how I helped them do this. Once you get into the specifics of, and I'll just use like an example for myself, right? It's one thing for me to go, I worked with Susie and Susie grew her newsletter by 20%. And it's another for me to go, I worked with Susie and helped her grow her newsletter by 20%. Here's what we did. Here's how we changed her bio. Here's how we did X, Y, and Z. So that's getting that combination of credibility and value. And that's the home run. And that you're not going to feel arrogant posting because you're going to, because again, part of the arrogant feeling is I'm just saying good things about myself but not actually giving them anything valuable. So that's one way to, to combine those things. A second way to do it is if you answer people's questions in public, like I I call this micro coaching and I do it on Twitter all the time, right? Ask people to either submit questions to you or even just someone in a conversation, you can say, so-and-so asked me this, here's what I said to them. So your expertise, your answers, your value are establishing your credibility because people see it and they go, oh, that guy knows what he's talking about. That was really smart. But it's also providing value simultaneously at the same time. And that's the sweet spot that you're looking for. It's very different than just going, Susie asked me a question and I gave her the answer. And she said, wow, Josh, you're a genius. (laughs) Like that is what that's going to make you feel arrogant. But showing the actual thing doesn't. Then the third way to communicate credibility and provide value at the same time is to have other people interview you and share that content. Go on people's podcasts do interview in their newsletter, whatever it is, right? Because what essentially they're doing is they're prompting you to talk about yourself and to reveal things. And so you feel a little different maybe than just going, oh, let me tell you about X, Y, and Z. That's another sort of simple cheat code. And the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of people think about, well, especially as they grow, they might be like, I'm not gonna go on this podcast because that person just started it and they don't have an audience and whatever. But when you realize sometimes doing that is not about, their audience. It's about an excuse for you to get content that you can share with your audience. And then the fourth one is incorporate credibility from other people in the places where decisions happen. So there's a difference between sharing a testimonial on Twitter and sharing a testimonial on a sales page for something. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it on Twitter because I definitely think you can and you can make it valuable and that kind of thing. But you want that credibility in the places where people are deciding what to do. It's not just a sales page, but it could be a newsletter sign up page. It could be a podcast description. Like it doesn't have to just be paid products. If you think about what is really the point of credibility, the point of credibility is to nudge someone who's trying to make up their mind about whether they should give you their money, their attention, their whatever. That's where you really need that credibility. So it's interesting. You'll see people who are maybe sharing credibility in a tweet, but their bio has none of that credibility. So the person that didn't happen to see that tweet goes to their bio and they have no idea. I was looking at someone's website the other day. I actually sent him a suggestion. He has 2 million YouTube subscribers. That's not mentioned on his homepage of his website. It says YouTuber, author, whatever. Sure. It's interesting. And I don't know if he added it or not, but like... Obviously, he's very successful, but it's so interesting to me because like his website looks like any other like YouTuber, author, whatever could have. And I'm like, you have two million subscribers. Like, why would that not be mentioned here? He didn't say this to me, but just in the context of this conversation, that's where your arrogance question comes from. But it's like, that's relevant. This also ties into your experience as well, right? It's not just audience numbers and sales. It's running your own church or having been a pastor for X amount of time or this, that, or the other. All of that is credibility and all of that should be talked about in key places and in ways that is valuable to others. One other last thing I would say about that is this is another thing that can help boost your credibility. Pointing out who your work is not for actually gives you more credibility. So I think a lot of times the people that were like, I don't believe what this guy is saying, it's because they're not eliminating anyone. So if you think about it like this, if you say, oh, I can help anyone become a millionaire. Really? Really? Anyone? People are way more likely to believe you if you said, I can help someone who already has a $100,000 business get to a million. And that, by the way, that's still like a big jump. That's still a huge promise to say the least. But you're way more likely to believe the person that's like, look, if you haven't already started and gotten a business to 100,000, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I can get you, turn you into a million. That elimination helps. People are hesitant to do that for a variety of reasons that relates to niche. And they're like, but I could probably help this person. I could probably help that person. But like you talking about the credibility you will have if you get specific and go, I can help these kind of pastors do this kind of thing versus I can help every pastor that makes sense. And maybe you can, but the difference is like, oh, that guy's not over promising. Like he's not a magician. He has expertise in a certain thing that that he can do this. Cool. So let's get to your third question. What is the next thing you want to know? The last
1: question I have is why are skill sessions worth the cost? And I mean that for the end user. So to cut, I mean, pricing is this thing. I'm I'm new to it. I'm trying to figure out the guy I'm working with who's got a background in digital marketing. And I tend to agree with this. The more expensive it is, the more perceived value. At the same time, like there's a lot of great free YouTube hour long webinar type things. Why is your skill session worth fifty bucks? Why isn't it worth ten bucks? Why isn't it worth two hundred fifty bucks? How do you figure that out? Because I think what I'm most nervous about, what's really behind the question, is I don't want to have people go, Yeah, that was fine. I feel like I got that wasn't worth
0: it's a great question. And pricing is, it's funny, at some point I'm going to do a skill session on pricing, but it's such a like massive topic and there's like a million variables that, that it's tricky. First of all, let me ask you, are you a member of my skill sessions? Have you checked any of them out or no, you've just seen me talk about them? I've
1: seen you talk about them. I've seen them being okay. okay.
0: Let me ask you. And by, well, by the way, so, probably get for 25 bucks. Right. So, so first of all, for anyone that's listening and doesn't know what my skill sessions are, there are a series of sort of one hour video presentations where I take a very specific topic and show people how to do it. So I have one called The Newsletter Booster about how to grow your newsletter in five minutes a day. I have one called The Product in a Day Creator. It's about how to create a product and launch it in a day. I have one called The Relationship Builder, which is about how to identify and connect with 50 people who can help you grow your audience and business. So those kind of things. I sell them, they're available for individual purchase for $50 or you can become a member for $197 a year and you get access to all of them. You get to join live, you get to vote on the topics, all that kind of stuff. And now I started doing a monthly jam session Q&A, which is like an open open Q&A so people can kind of get mini consulting. That's my promotion and that's what they are. Okay. Your question, which again is so good. First of all, I do agree that pricing is branding and it does impact the perception of value. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're like, hey, this is a thousand dollar product that it's suddenly worth a thousand dollars or people are gonna buy it. And it also doesn't mean that just because you charge $10 for something that it does, that it's a crappy product. People have a hard time, just like you asking the question of assessing like what is this actually worth, especially in a vacuum where they have like nothing to compare it to, whatever. So the core of your question really is like. You're asking it about skill sessions and are they worth the cost? But really, I think what we're sort of getting at here is like, how do you determine what anything is worth, both as
1: a buyer and as a seller? Yeah. I just recorded all these videos. What we'll call them, how it'll mm-hmm. be packaged, who knows? But like, yeah, how will we know? Like, yeah, what's like, the right price? No, it's too much. No, I mean, so the market speaks. Yeah, on the other hand, like, you got to start somewhere, just get that first customer have a bad experience because like, yeah, it was fine. It wasn't worth it, though. It wasn't worth that, though.
0: Yeah, it's definitely more art than science. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing, every product, every audience is different. You see this all the time where it's people talk about, oh, I'm going to grow a newsletter and sell ads. And they're like, how many subscribers do I need? Well, are you going to have a newsletter that reaches 50 billionaires or are you going to have a newsletter that reaches 50,000 unemployed people? Because the ads you're going to sell are like, it's completely different, right? So understanding the market and all of that kind of stuff. I'm going to give you a very sort of strategic framework to think through how to figure out what something is worth and what to charge for it. And also understand that things can always change. You're not locked into any price. You can, you can experiment and it will evolve. So here's a key concept to remember. Whatever it is you offer or sell is not the only way to accomplish something for buyers. So once you wrap your head around that, it means the determination of worth or value of a product is always in comparison to the other options. It seems like it's in a vacuum, but in actuality, there are multiple other options that people can do to accomplish the same goal that whatever you're selling them is going to help them do. Most people don't think about value this way. They think about it in a vacuum. They think I made this thing and is it worth this much money? That's almost impossible to answer. That's always going to be a guess. And by the way, just because people buy it doesn't mean it was worth it. And just because people don't buy it doesn't mean it wasn't worth it. I like to try to get out of that vacuum. And the way to do that is when you're asking or considering what something is worth, there are four key questions to consider. The first one is, am I selling information or transformation? Information, in my opinion, is a commodity. Transformation is way more valuable. So information is I collected a bunch of stuff and here you go. Transformation is you're going to, whatever this product is, you're going to buy it. And after using it or consuming it or whatever, you're going to be a different person or in a different place than you were before. Point A to point B. Transformation is much easier to assess worth and value than just information. To your point, information, you can go on YouTube, you can Google, you can do whatever. So that's the first question. The second question is assuming you're selling something that helps people with a transformation, how much more is the after state worth than the before state? Now, depending what you're selling and what you're doing, this can be an easy question if it's literally like a financial thing. Like you buy my thing and your sales grew by 10% and your average sales this, and that's very easy, that's very mathematical. If you're helping them with a mindset with a whatever, now there still may be things, right? Oh, your church has grown by this many people and you can assess it that way. Or it could be something that's much more, just to use your, put it in your world as an example, you lacked confidence when you delivered a sermon and now you are confident when you deliver a sermon. What's that worth? It may not be financial, but that could be worth a lot, right? What is that confidence worth? So measuring the difference between the before and after state. And the third question is, could I do this myself? And if so, what would it cost me in terms of time, effort, and resources? Everything can be done by yourself, but it has a cost. People don't need to buy my newsletter skill session. They can go out and they can find a million resources. They can go out and they can experiment on their own and try to figure it out. Like there's a million different things. There's a million, and I'm going to get into some of the different ways that people can do it, but that has an actual value attached to it. It's going to take this much time. It's going to take this much money. It's going to take this much trial and error, whatever. And then the last of these four questions to consider when you're determining worth is if I paid someone else to do it for me, how much would that cost? So let's say it's about writing sermons. I could hire someone to write a sermon for me. I could hire someone to give me one-on-one training on how to give a better sermon or whatever it is. There's always an option of somebody else could do it for me. When you consider those questions, you start to see, you start to get a ballpark of, okay, I kind of know what this transformation is worth. I kind of know if I did it myself, if I didn't buy this thing and I wanted the result, here's what it would take me. And I kind of know if I hired someone else to do it, what that would cost. So that gives you at least a ballpark of the opportunity cost. I'm selling this thing. And by the way, this also is a very confident or a very smart way to sell. You're not pushing it on people.
1: There's a lot here in terms of the story as you're selling in sales pages and... Here's why
0: I'm not saying I'm the only one. This is not the only way to get what you want. By all means, you could do X, Y, and Z. If you don't want to do these things, this is a good fit for you. Here's why it's going to take you less time. It's going to cost you less money. It's going to cause you less frustration. It's whatever. One of the things like on my skill session sales page, my headline right now is you don't have to do shady stuff to grow your audience and business. I understand. I'm not saying this is the only way to grow your audience and business. There's lots of ways, but maybe you don't want to do some of that stuff. That's going to make me a perfect fit for some people. And there's other people who are like, what's the shady thing that I can do? They're not for me. Okay. So let me give you an example of actually taking one of my products and sort of breaking down using these questions, how I think about like what those other options are, consider the sort of pricing. Let's say that someone wants to grow their newsletter and they're trying to figure out how to do so. Very broad, simple scenario. One option is they buy my newsletter booster skill session for $50. I also offer, by the way, anyone who's listening to this, if you use code booster 25, you can get a 50% discount and get it for $25. But let's say they're not smart enough to listen to my show. So they can get it for $50. They can spend an hour watching it. They can spend five minutes a day doing the things I show them how to do in it. At a hypothetical, completely hypothetical, they do that and they wind up getting 30 new subscribers. By the end of the month, just this is a totally random number, but let's say they get a subscriber a day. So at the end of the month, their total "quote unquote" investment is they spent fifty dollars and one hundred and fifty minutes of their time, five minutes a day for thirty days. And for that investment, they've gotten a bunch of new subscribers. Again, in this hypothetical, they've got thirty new subscribers. If they didn't buy my newsletter booster and they wanted to grow their email list, what are the alternatives? What are the options? Here are a bunch of them. They could spend time learning how to create Facebook ads or social media ads and spend money running them. Maybe that takes them five hours to learn how to do it. Maybe they spend $150, they get subscribers for $5 a subscriber, hypothetically. And so that version is $150 and five hours of their time to get the same result. Another option is they could buy someone else's newsletter growth course. I'm not the only one that has that stuff. So let's say they spend $200, And let's say, because it costs more, the person's like, look, we got all these lessons and modules and whatever. So they spend $200, they watch four hours of videos and then grow. Let's say it works, let alone that a lot of stuff doesn't work, but let's best case scenario, they do that and it works, right? So that was $200, four hours. They could try to do it themselves. They could go to Google. They could go to YouTube. They could spend 10 hours reading about stuff, watching videos, learning how to grow their newsletter, try to implement that stuff on their own. Again, all this stuff can be learned. There's lots of free information out there. But again, there's a cost there. Maybe not a financial cost in that scenario, but a time cost, that kind of thing. And then another option is, again, you can always get somebody to do it for you. They could hire someone to grow their newsletter and pay them $1,000 a month. I'm making this up. I'm aware that there's these other options at different price points, at different time investments, whatever. So if I were actually like plotting out on a grid like time and money and invest it, I'm not pretending this is the only way to do it. But when I look at that, I go. I feel like for certain people who don't want to maybe invest all that time or don't want to invest all that money, this feels like a pretty good option. Again, I know the product is good. I know it works. I know they find it helpful, et cetera. But Josh, given that,
1: yeah, given that example you just said, you should charge more.
0: Now we're gonna get in, okay. So now we're gonna get into now we're gonna get into advanced pricing. Well,
1: because so, the reality is what yep. you're saying is like every other thing would take you a lot more time either way, either way, it's going to be yeah. a lot more time. So you're going to save time yep. just because <clears spilled> there's <throat> sessions, one hour plus five minutes a day. Yep. Well, so time is valuable and you should be charging a hundred bucks. I um, love, I, I,
0: I love that you said this because I wasn't necessarily planning to go here, but it's the perfect place for me to go. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Number one, you're absolutely right. I should charge more. They are steel. They are intentionally and purposefully designed to be a steal. This is also why I freely, like literally just a second ago, was like, oh, I can get it for 50% off. Like, here's the discount code, whatever. Here's why. It goes back to goal. My actual goal is not to sell individual sessions. It's to sell the annual memberships, which are $197 a year. I also know that, because I've been doing it now for a little while, that most people renew their membership. So when I get a member, I think the actual sort of average lifetime value over like a 3 year 3 year window is actually now like $350 or something like that. I purposefully am pricing the sessions low because when people buy them, which they don't necessarily realize up front, but they get an email that says Hope you like it. And if you want to upgrade to a membership, I'll refund your original purchase. So what I'm actually trying to do is get, I know that the best way to sell the membership is to have them see one of the sessions. Because my hope is they go, wow, this is amazing that they have the reaction that you have, that this was really helpful and really valuable. And I want more of this. And then they become a member. And that membership for me is actually worth $350. In theory, because they pay 197 a year and most people renew. And again, that's the average. So that
1: pricing. You just went from 150 to 197. Yeah. Why didn't you go from 150 to 247?
0: I thought about it, but I like so there's a couple of things here with the skill sessions product, and one of the reasons why I like the model is it's very scalable and it's not a lot of work for me. So I do a skill session once every two months. Once I do it, literally it takes me a little bit to put together the presentation. I record the presentation live on Zoom and my work for that is done and I can sell it forever. When you buy a membership, you get, so right now I think there's nine sessions in there and the value of the membership keeps going up and up. That's why I raised the price. At some point, I will probably go up again. The other thing I've realized is, and this also gets into pricing, price increases drive sales because they create that urgency. So I did a skill sessions week promotion the week before the price jumped from 150 to 197. My membership grew by 25% in a week because it created this urgency of all these people who were like, oh, maybe I should do that and whatever. If I jump, so let's say I went to 247. The next time, I like creating that moment of whatever, right? So I'd rather go to 197 and maybe six months from now go up again because it creates another urgency moment whereas if i go too high too fast. So another example of where i've done this is i sell ads in my newsletter which people can check out at fortheinterested.com/ads. I started those at $55, which was really low. And i went from 55 to 80, from 80 to 100, from 100 to 150, and then i did actually jump all the way to it's like 350 now. But that was very purposeful and i would see floods of ad buys every time it was about to go up. There's a bunch of stuff going on there, right? So, one part of it is I ultimately want people into the membership. So, I really want to get them to try one because I think then they're going to want more, right? So, it's purposefully priced low. The annual membership is also priced probably lower than it could be because I give myself room to continually have these jumps. And then the third piece of it is I like having my products priced a little on the lower side because I like that people go, wow, that was crazy valuable like I want it to be a no-brainer ideally and I think that helps with the renewals and everything what's interesting is on the flip side my consulting's price very high because my consulting's not scalable so my consulting is if I'm going to do a 90-minute clarity call with somebody that's all I'm doing at that time and the only money I'm getting from that is what that person pays for that one call with these the time and effort I don't I'm not they're made Right. And I'm doing another one. There's no additional work by people buying them. There's just more money. So those are a little on the lower side. How um, is,
1: like, the production value of it after in you. I, according to Zoom call, that's pretty low production quality.
0: Yeah. Relative very purposeful.
1: You're in a studio and blah, blah, blah.
0: Very purposeful. But, so I think all of that stuff, I think what people really care about is the value of the information. I don't do, I think most courses, traditional courses are way overproduced. Zoom is totally fine. I've never had anyone say they have any issue with it. And honestly, like I do need to improve my Zoom background, which looks like a hostage thing and get a better camera and all that stuff. But I'm very much like, to me, it's about the information. As long as they can hear it, as long as they can see it, I'm literally taking them through like a PowerPoint presentation. I like Zoom also because they're on it so we can interact. We do questions at the end, that kind of yeah, stuff.
1: But I guess my question is, does that impact your approach to the pricing? No. You go, hey, people are going to experience this as low production. Therefore, I should price it lower.
0: No. For me personally, no. Because it, to me, it's all about a really well-produced flashy course that doesn't have good information. No one's going to go, wow, that was great. To me, it's all about the sort of value of the information. Whereas or
1: the transaction value with... Would I charge more? Better production. Would you charge more for it?
0: I don't think I would charge more. I mean, I guess I could in theory. Here's what I, here's what I would say. I don't think I would charge more. Hypothetically, maybe I'd sell more because people might, might look at the clips and they might go, oh, this looks amazing. But even that, like I, I come from, and this is true of how I think of social media as well. Right. I think that the underlying idea is the most important thing in everything. So I don't use Instagram. I'm not a big Instagram fan, but I used to, and I used to run social media for the Oscars. And so like, I've used all the platforms and like, I get the whole thing. Right. But you know, my take is people think what works on Instagram is like pretty pictures and it's got to look whatever. To me, it's always the underlying idea. Like you could have a crappy screenshot of something in your notes app. And I've done this before. But like, if that underlying idea resonates with people, that post is going to go crazy. So I'm very, this is my approach to everything. And I think my products extend to that and at times to a fault. And there are some things like, again, I'm going to improve my little sort of studio here and I'm going to get a better camera and my YouTube thumbnails can be better. And I'm working on that, like all of that stuff. So it's not that it has no impact. I think it, to me at least, it is drastically far behind in importance compared to what really matters is like, can you help people get the thing that they want to get? It's funny, like I mentioned in the intro to the show on talking about how great the newsletter social playbook was. It didn't stop him from doing that. Like the people that like, it's not stopping people from renewing. Again, not that it can't be better, but I, to me, that's always the emphasis more so than the other stuff. But it's great. Cool. Thank you so much for the questions. Tell people if they want to follow you, connect with you, listen to your podcast, all that stuff. Where can they find more of you?
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Luke D. Simmons and then uh, <laughs> faithfulandfruitful.com.
0: My stuff, again, my newsletter fortheinterested.com, my skill sessions, which you've just heard a bunch about, joshspector.com slash sessions. By the way, Luke's going to become a member because after this, I'm about to send him a free one so he can actually check it out and see what it is for himself. And yeah, I'm on Twitter all the time at Jay Spector. If you would like to come on the show and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions. think that's about enough of me promoting stuff. Have a great week. I will see you or you will hopefully hear me in your headphones next week.